calling you from Free Domain Radio. Hope you're doing well. Pleased to have the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson on the line. He is a radio talk show host, speaker, and the author of Scam, How the Black Leadership Exploits Black America, and From Rage to Responsibility, and The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. Reverend Peterson also founded Bond, a nationally recognized nonprofit organization dedicated to Rebuilding the Family by Rebuilding the Man. And you can find his work. We'll link this below in the video and the podcast. JesseLeePeterson.com and RebuildingTheMan.com. Reverend Peterson, thank you for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, so I've been watching your videos for a while. And I always find it really delightful when I hear arguments that hit my spine like an electric bolt from a blue sky. I mean, you have some fantastic <laughs> perspectives and arguments that have really opened my mind. The one that I found, let's just jump straight into the deep end. The one that I found particularly compelling was the idea that there's no such thing as racism. And that, I'm still, I'm still working with that. It's like a greased <laughs> pig in my arms, <laughs> squirming away. Can, can you yeah. sort of help my listeners understand where that perspective comes from and what it means? Well, we've been here for the last 60 years or so, starting with the so-called civil rights leaders, Jesse Jackson and others, that America is, uh, well, at least white Americans are racist against black people based on color. And it's just absolutely not true. But Jackson and others made that up because <laughs> it's a way of intimidating white people in order to gain power and wealth. Because when you tell white people that they are racist against blacks, white people go into a frenzy. You know, they become afraid. They don't want to be called racist. And so when Jackson and others get them in that position, <laughs> excuse me, they say, well, okay, the way to satisfy us, you have to give us money. You have to put our friends in position of power in your company or whatever it is that they want. It helped Jackson and others to gain power and wealth. But it also keeps black Americans angry because, and not all, not all, not all, but most, most black people are angry first in their homes by their mothers and grandmothers who have turned them away from their fathers and, and they lack patience with their children. So the kids are made to be angry in the homes. Then Jackson and others tell them where well, that anger is due to white racism. And so blacks believe that because when you're angry, you can't help but believe a lie. It's hard to believe the truth. And so they get the blacks angry and they get them to protest against the white people who hate them. And this has been going on for the last 60 or 70 years or so. And now generation and generation and generation of blacks are using that as liberal whites in order to manipulate and gain power. There is no such thing as racism. The Bible tells us that our warfare our battle is a spiritual battle. It's a warfare between good and evil. And so whenever you are angry at someone, that person seems like another person to you. So you would want to destroy that person because you hate them, not because it has anything to do with their color. For example, you can meet a, a woman at the bar. I don't go to the bars now, but if I went to the bar, I met a woman and that night that I meet her, she seems so beautiful. And I'm thinking, this is a gift from God. But the morning after the night of, I become angry at her. She looked like a different person. She looked like a woman from hell. It's the same person, but my anger changed the perspective of that person. And so that's what's happening. Black people are angry, so 
They've been told white people are racist against them simply because of color. And that's all they can see because the anger is there. They can't see that it's not true. And this is what's so frustrating about race relations for me, at least, is that it seems like, I don't know if it's innate or something that's been programmed, but white people seem to have this big vending machine white guilt button. You know, if you hit the button, then you cough up resources, usually involuntarily through the power of the state to redistribute income from one group to another. And as long as this big white guilt button is there, it seems almost irresistible. And I can perfectly understand why people would keep hitting that button and getting the resources <laughs> rather than working on issues within their own communities. That's right. And, and the reason for that is that white people are angry. They are fed up with being accused of being racist. They have heard it over and over and over again from generation to generation. They have been blamed for something that happened way 150 years ago. And they are angry about that. So when you're angry, you become guilty. You feel like you owe someone something. You feel like you got to make up for something that you're not guilty of. And the only way they're going to get better in life is to overcome the anger. They have to forgive uh, black Americans for using that against them because it's not true. And if you notice, we have never been able to get rid of the word racist. And white America, this country, has done everything that black people have asked for. Beginning with the civil rights movement, they gave them affirmative action. They, uh, they allowed them to go to their schools and communities, wherever they want. But there's still not enough because you can't satisfy or convince an angry person. They have to overcome that anger so that they can see the reality of what's going on. So what I'm saying to white Americans, they have to drop their anger so that they can get rid of that false guilt of what's happening with black Americans and not be manipulated by the race hustlers. And then black people need to get over the anger so that they can see that black Americans are suffering not because of racism, but the lack of moral character and the destruction of the family. And they are being used by their own people, Barack Obama, Jesse Jackson, the uh, most of the black preachers, the civil rights movement, the civil rights leaders, and even the liberal, elitist, white, racist, Democratic Party that they call racist. Uh, but it's not, it's just, they're all using black people for their own personal gain. And blacks need to get over the anger so they can see that happening. And one of the things, because I talk about this in my show as well, that if you want to try and figure out where dysfunction is in society, you look at individuals rather than at institutions, which are these big ghostly shadowy things that, you know, have no particular moral existence or responsibility. And then uh, I've seen you do this in a number of interviews. You, you deep dive into the person's history. You know, I've heard you say, well, you're raised by a single mom. Do you know your dad? Were you close to your dad? Um, why do you take that approach in particular? Because the problem starts in the home first. The worst thing that can happen to children in life, all kids of all races, boys and girls, is not to have a good father in the home, a father that's setting that example. And, and what people don't realize that the father represents Christ in the home. He represents love. He represents strength. He protects the family. He provides for them. But he also brings in that spiritual aspect of the family. So when you don't have that connection to your father, it leaves a void in your life, an emptiness. You go around feeling like no matter how much money you have, the friends you have, where you live, how famous you are, you still feel like something is missing. And so what is missing is the love of a father. Whenever you're turned away from your father, 
it leaves that void there. And also, it's been uh, ordained that fathers and mothers, men and women, should get married. Fathers and mothers raise their children in the right way to go. Set that good example. Let them see how you deal with each other. Let them see how you deal with life. And the kids will pattern after the father and mother. But if they don't have that, they end up struggling in life because they don't see how to deal with the issues and they're constantly overreacting. The most important thing that you can have in life are your parents when you first come into this world. When you don't have that, and see the children of the lie know that. Barack Obama and others, they know that the parents are the most important aspect of our lives and that's why they're not trying to put the families back together. They're not trying to bring the fathers and mothers back because they don't want that kind of example for the kids. You can't control a moral people. You have to demoralize them. And when you're not raised by your parents, you, uh, you become angry and demoralized. And that's where they want you because that's how they control you. Well, and they get you, of course, addicted to voting Democrat, to, to welfare, to state power, because when the father gets yanked out of the family environment, and of course it's happening in the white community as well, yes. then what happens is there's a resource vacuum, there's a power vacuum, there's a stability vacuum, and then rushes in the government, says, oh, don't worry, we're going to take care of you, we're going to give pay your bills, we're going to get you housing, we're going to pay your kids' medical bills, and so on. Yeah. But that's simply resources. That's not going to help build moral character. In fact, it seems to do a good job of eroding it. Yeah, the government take the place of the father. It become the father, and it take care of the women and children. But you also subject to that government, and whomever is con- controlling the government will control you. And so the Democratic Party is uh, good at doing that. They offer you some free stuff. They tell you that you're a victim. They keep you angry. And so year in and year out, year in and year out, you hear blacks and now Hispanics blaming the white man for their problems when white folks haven't had anything to do with it at all. It's a destruction of the family, and they don't want that change to come about. So when you see me doing my interviews and talking to people, the, uh, the beginning of freedom is to know thyself. When you can know yourself, that's how you overcome. When you see what's really going on with you and where the problem started, it causes you to overcome that by forgiving your parents. When you forgive them for the mistakes they made, then God will forgive you and he will set you free. He will take away that, the fear, the doubt, the worry, the insecurity, the uh, uh, being subject to the world, to your outer environment. He would take all that away from you by giving you perfect peace. But if you don't get to know yourself, you will never be able to overcome it. What do you think the steps are that have eroded uh, family life in America as a whole, but in particular in the black community? Uh, it really seems that, you know, in, in the 50s and so on, the, the, the family, black families were relatively strong. You had lots of blacks moving into middle class, into professional yeah. fields and so on. And then in the 60s, particularly the late 60s, it all started to fall down. What do you think were the major dominoes that began to, to really undermine the institutions? About 60 years ago, the government came in, supported by the uh, civil rights leaders, under Lyndon B. Johnson, and they said to black people, we are going to take care of you, uh, but you can't have a man in the home. The white man is trying to hold you back. Racism is an issue for you. We are going to take care of you. We're going to give you welfare programs, but... You cannot have a man in the home. 
And so they took the father out of the home. The government became the daddy. And it's just been downhill ever since. So you have generation and generation of women having children by every Tom, Dick, and Harry in order to stay on the welfare. And now you get more. It's, it's almost, in a way, it's not good for your character, but you can make more money now having babies and staying home than you can going to work in some cases. And so they have learned about that, the black women have, and their daughters are doing the same thing. And you even have black men who are doing that too. Many of them are getting money from the government. They could say, well, they're a drug addict or they have whatever kind of problems, and the government give them money too, destroying their desire, their nature to work and earn your way. And unless you work and earn your way, you're never going to become a free person. But, and so you see a lot of black men as well as women relying on the government because they've been spoiled and they have not developed that nature that uh, causes you to take care of yourself. Well, and this, again, to me, is really frustrating in terms of if you turn children from a liability into an asset, then you lower the requirements for men to be good, honest, stable, decent providers. Because if a woman wants to have kids and there's no big, giant welfare around, maybe there's sort of private charity, church charity, and so on to fill in the gaps, then she doesn't need to choose a really good man. She just needs to choose a man who's willing to have sex with her, which apparently is quite a lot of men in this world. And so she doesn't need the virtue. And so for a man, being a good man becomes less valuable if it doesn't sort of buy you uh, a sort of better and more stable family life. That's right. And, you know, I blame the government for that, but I blame the adults too. Um, I grew up on a plantation down in Alabama. I grew up on the Jim Crow laws. I had to, uh, we were, t- the boys were taken out of school twice a year to plant the crop and then bring it in. And so I wasn't well educated, but I was taught to work hard. All of my life I worked. And so I know how to take care of myself. So I blame the adults for it as well, because once you become an adult, you are responsible for your own life. You, you know, even though someone else might be controlling you, you have to love yourself enough to, uh, take control of your own life. And what we have in today's society, and I write about it in my, my new book, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood, black Americans are not taking responsibility for their own lives as individuals. They're looking to the government. They're looking to their so-called leaders to think for them. They, they, don't, they have lost that ability to realize that I have to take responsibility. Yes, these things happen to me, but that doesn't mean I have to be stuck in that. When would I look at what's going on and take control of my own life? They're not doing that, and I blame them for that. Well, and there's, there's so little circling back to see if stuff is actually working, right? So if there's this thesis that um, taking resources and, and giving it to the black community is going to solve the problems, then of course the black community should be doing really well and that should be tapering off at this That's point. Right. You know, if I'm sick and I need antibiotics, I take my antibiotics and I get better and then I stop taking the antibiotics. But it seems like every theory that's put forward about how to help the black community ends up making it worse and then everybody just kind of doubles down and keeps escalating and increasing all the stuff that's not working. And the reason it's not working because when the money and stuff comes in or go into the urban areas, the, the people are not getting the money. It goes to the leadership. It goes to the preachers. And the money never trickled down to the people. So they're not really getting the help that their leadership is pretending that they're giving 
to these folks. What has happened, the last time we had the riot, uh, uh, riot in uh, South Central L.A., they burned down buildings, they robbed stores, they did everything. And so you had the so-called civil rights leaders coming out of the woodwork and saying to the government and to white America, we need money to rebuild. We need this and that to rebuild. And all of this money came in, and, but it did not help the people. When you go to South Central L.A. right now, it's not improved because the money never goes to the people. It goes to the so-called leadership. And that's why they have to keep black people angry so that they can get that money coming in and the power for themselves. It's not meant to help black people. That's why you don't see a change when they receive this money and stuff. Now, as far as your childhood and early life goes or went, um, were there big formative moments for you, big illumination moments for you that helped put you on the path uh, that you're on? Which is a challenging path in many ways, I can understand. <laughs> well, I, um, I grew up with my grandparents. My, my father got my mother pregnant, and they were dating. And when she, when, he, when she told my dad about the fact that she was pregnant, he said, no, I can't make a baby. That's not, we were standing up or something when they had sex or something. And he didn't know you can make a baby standing. And so he denied it. <laughs> and so my mother became very angry at him about that. And she ended up marrying my stepfather before I was born because in those days it was an embarrassment as it should be to have children out of wedlock. So she got married so that I would not be born out of wedlock. But as a child, I wanted my father. I had a, a yearning that emptiness was for my father. And I knew that as a kid. And even though I had a decent stepfather, he was a good man. I didn't want him as my father. I wanted my real father. And when I would ask my mother about him, she was so mad at him, she would not, she would say, you know, he's no good. He doesn't love you. Forget about him. And I became angry at her because I thought she was mean for keeping me away from my father. And as you know, when you become angry at someone, you, you resent someone, you become like what you hate. And so I became very emotional and insecure, just like my mother. And I didn't know what was going on with me. I um, left Alabama and moved to California at the age of... Uh, 18, I started going to, going to some of the black churches around town here, and I would ask the black preacher, what's wrong with me? I'm so emotional. You know, I can't really, I don't know what I want to do in life. I can't stand up to anything. And they said it was racism, that it was the white man trying to hold me down because I was black. And I started to believe that lie. And when you believe a lie, whomever caused you to believe the lie control you. And my, hell, my, life, went to, uh, my life went to hell in a handbasket. And after a while, I started to ask questions, you know, like, if white people are holding me back, why is it that Jesse Jackson and the black preachers and everybody else are doing very well? They were black, too. But they had two parents, you know, the husband and wife in the home. Their kids were going to the best schools, getting married and the whole deal. So finally, long story short, I asked God to let me see myself. And he showed me that I resented my mother for trying to turn me away from my father and, my, and I had a yearning for my dad. So I went to my mother and I apologized. I told her that I hated her for what she had done, but I had become just like her and I was sorry for hating her. And then she apologized to me and I went to my dad and he and I had a talk. And once my dad and I hooked up, he became my father. I became his son. God took away my anger and gave me perfect peace. 
And that's when I realized that black Americans were suffering, not because of racism, but the destruction of the family, a longing for the father. So I started my uh, nonprofit organization, Bond, the Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. And our purpose is to rebuild the family by rebuilding the man. First thing we do is show young men how to forgive their mothers for turning them away from their fathers and their fathers for not being there to guide them. Once they forgive, we also help find jobs, start businesses. We, uh, uh, we tutor and counsel. We have a school that we started. And, I, and we've been around 26 years now and never received one dime from the government. And so I started to write about this. I give speeches around the country talking about forgiveness. It started with the parents. And I've been called the N-word. I've been called Uncle Tom, a sellout. I've had guns drawn on me. My telephone's been tapped. I've been called coon, head coon, king of the coons. But I don't care because I'm an American. I'm not African-American. I don't have an Afro. I have an Amerifro. See? <laughs> I don't have African drums beating in my chest. The American guitar playing in my heart. Black as the ace of spades, but 100% American. I love my country. I'm glad I was born here. And I know the problem is not about race. It's about character. Well, and, and you talk about that, of course, a lot with your guests and a lot on yeah. your show. The question is, uh, is, is the black community suffering from white racism or problems with, with character, problems with morality? And, you know, I've been hammering on this topic uh, worldwide, you know, for, for the human race as a whole, that, that we really need to start looking at our behaviors, not at yes. what we call our prejudices. We need to start looking at our actions, not at all of the imagined slights that can be out there in the world like mosquitoes buzzing around us and, and crippling us, because That's we right. don't have control over what other people think. We only have fundamental control over what we do, and the degree to which we can improve our actions is the degree to which we can be a powerful force in the world. That's right. You know what happened as a result of God taking my anger away? I have no anger at all. Um, <clears throat> I don't, I'm not concerned about what other people think about me, whether they like me or not. It, is, it, it doesn't affect me at all. Whereas when I had the anger, you know, I had the fear and I had the doubt and I, I was concerned about what other people thought. But now my responsibility is, is to love them. I don't need them to love me, but I love them. And as long as I don't resent them, and, and love is just simply not hating. If you don't have anger, you have love. And in that, you are completed. And so when I let that go, it made me free. And that's why I'm telling all people, but especially black people, that they have to let this anger go. Black Americans, not all but most, are angry. They're very violent. They have no control of their tongue. They just say and act any kind of way. You can, it's not uncommon to see black mothers slapping fire out of their kids in the supermarket or on the streets, cursing at them because they have this anger that's been passed down from generation to generation. And they're not seeing that it's them. They think it's someone else, the white man or someone else. And unless they overcome that anger, there's nothing that this society can do or any other society to make them feel better. When you have anger, you're separated from God, and Satan is your father. The devil is your father. It doesn't matter if you go to church, read the Bible, give your money to the church, or claim to be a Christian or whatever. As long as you have anger, you're operating from the nature of evil. There is no love and anger at all.
Well, and I, I did a video uh, a while back ago where I did talk about uh, the harshness with which kids are, are treated often within the black community. And yeah. uh, I think without a father, generally, there tends to be some escalation of aggression, particularly between moms and, and their boys. Because, you know, as the yes. boys get older, they get bigger. You know, I remember when my mom, she'd be wagging her finger down, and then one day she's <laughs> wagging her finger up at me. And, and uh, <laughs> I think that then they, they sort of feel this fear that the kids are going to get bigger, the kids are going to get out of control, the kids are going to get stronger. And they do, and then they will, naturally. So I think there's a lot of aggression, particularly in the absence of a father, because a father is generally more of a stern look and, a, a, you know, without necessarily that, that the, the spanking or the hitting or the beating and that. And I think that's going to give uh, kids uh, of any race such a, um, they're going to be so far behind the starting line when they start out if they've been raised that kind of way. You're absolutely right. The authority is in the father. It's given to him by God. It's not in the mother. The mother can only uh, uh, really can handle the kids until about the age of three or so. That's when the kids, boys and girls, realize that their mother has no authority at all. But it is natural, naturally uh, given unto the father. And so when kids look at the father, as you said, sometimes they don't have to say a word. They should just see that authority in the father and his love. And the kids will obey that. But when the mothers don't have the kids there, I mean the father there, to take over at the age of three, then she has to will herself. She try to force the kids to do the right thing. And a lot of the mothers mean well, but they don't realize that when they will themselves upon their children, when they're yelling at them or trying to con them by giving them something in order to get them to do the right thing, that they're destroying the kids that way. And a lot of mothers, have, uh, they're causing their kids to become angry because they're, they're trying to impose their will upon their kids. And in some cases, trying to get them to grow up right and do the right thing. That's why it's so important for mo- fathers and mothers to be together so that the father can take over and discipline the children uh, once they turn three years old. Well, and I think, you know, authority is is the key to peaceful parenting, to raising your children yes. in a gentle way. If you yeah. have authority, then the kids will really listen to you. And I think for boys, I, I can speak for boys, I'm sure for girls as well too, but for boys, when they look at their single mom, what they see is either a woman who chose an irresponsible man to have children with or who <laughs> chose a responsible man and drove him away. Uh, yes. and, and so I think it's hard for the single moms to say, well, you should do the right thing when the kids look at her and said, well, did you do the right thing? Did you choose a responsible man for, to be the father of your children? So without authority, you generally have to escalate in aggression to try and get your way. 100%. But when you do that, you, call, you, you cause the kids to fall away from innocence and they grow up angry. And you wonder, well, what happened to my child? I tried to do the best but not realizing that you have taken away their innocence and they have become just like you because you become like what you hate. And once the kids start, the boys uh, and the girls, but the boys become angry at their mothers, they take on that identity. That's why you see a lot of men today who are angry, emotional, doubtful, very violent, uh, just out of control because they have taken on the spirit or the identity of their mothers, so they think and act like women. And not all women are like that, but women who are angry, they think and act like them, not realizing that's not their natural state of being. But since they did not have the father there to identify with, you identify with whatever's around you, and most of the time it's the mother. 
Right. Now let's turn to a, a hot topic uh, and, and a brutal topic at the moment, which is the relationship between the black community and the police, which over the last couple of years has, to me, just gone, again, not to overgeneralize, kind of crazy. Now, I grew up in a poor neighborhood, and there were two kinds of people around. There were people who were doing bad things, who hated the police, and there were people who wanted protection from the people doing bad things, who loved the police and wanted them yeah. and called them when they were problems and appreciated them being around. And I really yes. dislike the degree to which the media is saying, well, the black community as a whole has a problem with the police. Uh, and that's, an, I don't think that's the case. I mean, there's, there's criminals in every community and the criminals don't like the police and the criminals want the police to go away. They don't want them to stop and frisk. They don't want them to do anything like that because they want to be able to do their bad things without interference. But yeah. there are lots of, you know, really great, wonderful people in the black community who are terrified of the criminals around them and who need the police. But of course, we never hear from that in the media. That's right. The reason that a lot of blacks, young and old, have an attitude with the police officers is because they have been told that the white officers are against them. That's another setup from the uh, black leadership. And I remember when I had the anger, I was told that I would hear this Jackson and others saying that the cops were racist against us because we were black. And so I believed into that. And so black young men and women are hearing this from generation to generation. And so when they are stopped by the cops, they automatically give them attitude because their mind tells them that they are being stopped because they are black. And they're not being stopped because they're black, but because they're angry, they, they believe that. And so they give the cop attitude. They, mm. they won't follow instructions. Uh, if the cop tried to put handcuffs, they resist arrest. And when they end up dead, uh, the, the, the race hustlers come in and they blame the cop and not the person who acted out with the cop. Whenever you act out like that, you put the officer on defense. He has to protect himself because he doesn't know what you're going to do next. And they're not saying that to the people. But blacks have been brainwashed to believe that police, the, the police is against them, especially if it's a white cop. And it's just simply not true. And it's so unfortunate because you don't hear this in the media. You don't hear that blacks have been told generation after generation after generation that the police officer hate you. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing happening in the country right now. And look what Obama has done for the last uh, almost eight years now, seven and a little over half years. He created an environment that is insane. He's created this environment that says white officers are against you because you're black. And most of the people who are being killed or arrested by officers are people who have committed crimes already or those who are acting out when they're stopped. And this is what Barack Obama and others want. They are using black people because once they can accuse the police department of being racist, so-called racist, then they can get rid of the white cops, get rid of the chief if he's white, and bring in a black one, and they can redistribute wealth and power. That's why they are doing this. I mean, for the government to allow the blacks, so-called Black Lives Matter and others, and I have to say Black Lives Matter is worse than the KKK. It's a very radical, agitative, evil group of people. And if they were white, they would not be allowed to get away with what they're getting away with. What do we want? Dead cops. When do we want it now? Pits in a blanket. Fry them like bacon. They would not, this country would not allow a white 
evil group to do that. But they allowed Black Lives Matter to do it because of their connection with Barack Obama. Right after the killing in, uh, in uh, Dallas of the five police officers, a few days later, Barack Obama invite, invited members of the Black Lives Matter to the White House. What do you think would happen had President Bush done something like that with the KKK or the skinheads? It would have been a mess. But because Barack Obama is black and whites are afraid to be called racist, he is allowed to get away with it. He is pushing hatred, and he has created this environment. I blame him, and I blame Black Lives Matter. I also blame white Americans for not speaking up, because when you have fear, you bring the worst out of your enemy. White Americans must start telling the truth. Well, and this um, is the great tragedy. I, I often wonder the degree to which different races or ethnicities might get along if they weren't taught to hate each other. I mean, I don't think that's natural to our condition. I don't think that's natural to, to feel that way. I mean, I know we're tribal and all that and so on, but, you know, this hatred thing. Because, I mean, if, if I, I don't know, let's say I moved to Ireland and I just, I hate redheaded people with freckles. Like, I just <laughs> think they're totally evil and they're just yeah. out to get me. And every failure, I stub my toe and I think that one of them must have pushed me with an invisible brain ray or something. That's right. Then what's going to happen is I'm going to bring a negativity and a hostility to all the suspicion and an anger to all of my interactions with redheaded, freckled people. Is it then going to be any surprise when they react to me in a negative way? And then I say, aha, you see, I That's knew right. it. But it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy. Where would we be if we weren't taught all of this hostility? You're right. And it's common sense. What you're saying is absolute common sense. But the problem is there's so much fear in this country today that if you speak out against black people, you tell the truth about what the real problem is, you're going to be labeled racist. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose, you know, your friendships with people. You're going to lose your family. And so white people are at a handicap. And uh, most black people hate white folks, so they're not going to speak up about it. We got to start standing up and telling the truth. Because of the fear, we now have policemen who are uh, under attack. They're being shot and killed. They're being hunted down and killed. They've been set up. There was a, a couple of black guys in uh, the South Selma, I believe, Alabama, who called 911, pretended that there was a problem. The police showed up, and they shot the police. They tried to kill him. Fortunately, I think he got away, but they have been ambushed and because of the fear of white folks. It's just like ISIS. ISIS is now in our country, overtaking us because we have not done anything about it. And when you don't stand up to your enemy in the right way, they will overtake you. My concern, and I firmly believe that between now and November, uh, things are going to get worse. We think that they are bad now, things are bad now, and it is, but it's going to get worse before it gets better because Obama and Hillary Clinton and others are desperately trying to keep hold of the White House so they can continue to push the agenda of Barack Obama. And the best way to do it is have total chaos in the country so they can blame whites for being racist, they can blame them for being anti-Hispanic and all that crap in order to win the White House. So it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I just warn people they need to watch out. They need to watch their backs because America is not a safe place anymore. The, 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 the thing that 
I'm, you know, I try not to fall too much into the pit of anger, but every now and then <laughs> I, I, I'm right on the edge because the people who write, who do all of this escalation, you know, whenever there's a shooting, uh, and and the people, the, the the people in the media, I mean, they're pretty rich, they're pretty, you know, they're in their gated communities, they're not subject yeah. to the riots and to the violence and to the things that the chaos that erupts in inner cities when they push this narrative that any time. Right. There's any fatality between you know a, a black man, particularly if he and turns out to be unarmed, and and a white cop in particular. They push this narrative, which causes the Ferguson effect, and you've talked about this, right? The cops withdraw from policing uh, in the inner cities uh, to some yes. degree, and they push back on the stop and frisk, and they push back on all of this stuff. The people who push this narrative, it's not their lives who are going to be threatened. It's not that's escalation right. of, of violence that's going to happen in their maybe white upper middle class gated communities. They push this narrative for the sake of political power, I think, and it is the, the people who have the hardest in society who end up suffering the most, and that really, really uh, makes me upset. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And not just the rich, uh, liberal whites who are li- living be behind gated fences and things like that, but it's also the blacks who are pushing this. The blacks like Maxine Waters and others who are pushing this stuff, they don't live in the inner cities. They don't live in the urban areas. Louis Farrakhan, for example, he lived uh, behind a gated fence, a beautiful park area, golf course area. The, and these people are armed while they want to take away our rights to bear arms and protect ourselves from the criminal. They are armed. They have bodyguards. And it's, it's because, I'm telling you, they do not care about the people at all. They're just using them to get whatever it is they desire. It's not about the people and my desire is to wake up all people about this, but especially black people. It breaks my heart to see that they're in the greatest country in the world. You can do whatever you want in this country. You can fail. You can succeed. It's up to you. And yet they're failing in life because they're listening to the so-called black leadership who are their enemies and not their friend. If they will only forgive you know, look at themselves, realize that they are angry, but look at where that anger started in the home first. So if they could go back and look at that and forgive, then their freedom would come and they would see how they're being used. One quick example, I write about Barack Obama in my book, The Antidote. Barack was raised by, a, he had a white mother who hated whiteness. She hated her own skin color. And she taught Obama that America was a racist society. His, his uh, grandmother had a negative encounter with a black man. She overreacted to that. And she spoke of black people as though she hated them. Uh, his father came to visit when he was in the eighth grade from Kenya. And uh, uh, his father spoke at his school to this class, his eighth grade class. And he told them that America is a racist society. Africa is a racist society. So, and then Barack didn't have a father to raise him, so he has this emptiness, this void, this anger inside of him, and he hates white people, and that's why he can identify with uh, Black Lives Matter, Al Sharpton and all them, because when you read about these folks, their troubles, their problems started in the home first and not outside the home, and that's why we got to rebuild families. We must get men to turn back to God Love him with all their heart, soul, and might. If they want a family, get married, and husbands and wives raise their children. Okay, so let's uh, we we've we've lowered this giant elephant of of problems onto people's chest. Let's see if we can lift it up a little yeah. bit at the end of the conversation. Um, 
what would you like to say to people, and you can take as much time as you like here because this is such an important issue, what was it you'd like to say to people um, to, to begin to, to solve these challenges? The first thing, and I appreciate that, the first thing that they need to do, and you and I talked about it earlier, is to take a look at themselves. They got to stop looking around. The answer is not on the outside. They got to look at themselves and realize that they are angry. And the proof of being angry is that you have fear, doubt, worry, insecurities. You're blaming others for your problems. You feel like a victim. So they need to look at that. And then they're going to see that it's all started in the home first. And they need to forgive their parents because their parents did the best that they could do. Might not have been the right thing, but that's all they had to give. And when I say forgive them, don't go and ask your parents to forgive you. You go to them and apologize for hating them. And that's what forgiveness is. So when you say to your, your, your father or mother, you know, dad or, 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 or to the mother, all my life I resented you. Here's why. And it was wrong for what you did to me, but I'm wrong for hating you. And then once they forgive them by admitting that they hate their parents or whatever, whomever it is that violated their lives, then God will forgive them. Even if the parents don't admit that they did it, they don't need to. God will forgive you when you forgive others. And he will take that away from you and open your eyes so that you might see and go free. And then you're going to see that it's never been about race or racism. It's due to the, like, the destruction of the family and the like of more character. And then we got to start telling the truth to the lie. Because the lie is winning and destroying this country, separating the races, because the lie is always evil. And so we got to start standing up, never mind the color, and start telling the truth if we want to save our country and then bring the races together rather than dividing them. It's a spiritual battle, a warfare between good and evil, right versus wrong. It has nothing to do with being a male or female, black or white. It has everything to do with the character, the lack of character. We got to come back to that. Yeah, and I take more of a philosophical than a religious approach, but I think we come to a similar destination just in terms of the old Socrates argument or the, the beginning of wisdom is to know yourself. And if you don't yes. know yourself, then what you've referred to as the ego, the, the vanity, the, the belief in delusion – uh, will distort everything that you look at, and you won't see the world as it is. You will see the world as you are, rather than uh, through a clear glass. It's more like watching a movie, a propaganda movie, than looking through uh, a clear glass. And I think that's a, a fascinating approach. And recognizing that that if you examine and and, and attack your own lies, uh, you will gain the truth. You will gain self ownership, which can only happen when you live uh, in in the truth. And I think that that. Different approach to the same destination, I think, is one of the things that I have found very compelling about what you talk about. You know, that was well said, and you're 100% correct. It's amazing what you discover by, about yourself once you start paying attention to what's really driving you. Um, and it's the right way to go. And at one time, we knew this in this country because when I was growing up, long story short, my grandparents taught me, don't blame someone else for your problems. It's you. You know, it's how you deal with things. You got to love your, your, your neighbor as yourself. No one is to blame. Even though challenges get in the way, you know, issues come. But if you have love in your heart and not hate, you can overcome anything that comes your way. 
But when you have anger in your heart, you're going to fail because you're always blaming someone else for it. Right. Beautifully said. All right. Thanks so much for your time. I just want to remind people at the end of this, go to jessieleepeterson.com, rebuildingtheman.com. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It was a really enjoyable conversation. I hope that we can do it again. And thanks so much for your time, Dr. Uh, Reverend Peterson, today. Well, thank you for having me on. It's a joy to meet you. I totally enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me on. You asked good questions. Beautiful. Thanks a lot. 